We finally have a sponsor, and that is Chateau Lebert Coffee, and that is C-H-A-T-E-A-U-L-E-B-E-R-T Coffee, if you can't spell that. That's C-O-F-F-E-E. Again, it's Chateau Lebert Coffee. And if you're a big coffee drinker, they have all kind of flavors. They have Ethiopian roast. They have, you know, they have uh, an apple flavor, a peach flavor, a juggernaut coffee. I mean, that sounds intense, juggernaut. Um, like I said, if, if you're a big coffee drinker, I think you should give them a shout. They're a local company, too. Anyways, again, like I said, it's Chateau Lebert Coffee. You can find them on Facebook. And they're also ready for pickup and delivery. I mean, you don't have to leave your house. Most of us aren't leaving the house anyways, but that's just an added perk. Like I said, again, it's Chateau Lebert Coffee. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we have a new sponsor, Acer Edge. Raul, do you need a haircut during this quarantine, don't you? I actually really do need a haircut. And whoever uses Acer's Edge will have the sharpest clippers and shears. So that's where I'm going to go. Now, aren't they also doing like knives for like sushi and oh, all culinary stuff yes. too? So he has started a new division for knives. So all you restaurant peeps, I know how expensive the knives that you guys buy for your personal use are in your restaurants. Top-notch quality. Ace's Edge. Yeah, once again, it's Acer Edge and that's A-C-E-R-E-D-G-E. And like I said, if you don't want to look like a fuck like Raul, you'll um, go to the person that uses Acer Edge. The best. All right. Welcome back, Link Up Podcast. We're here with uh, Bert and Raul. What's up? Bert, uh, you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, I'm Bert. Uh, been you know born and raised here in Memphis. Um, I'm also the owner of Acer Edge, which uh, handles all the sharpening for like the hair industry. And uh, Raul brought me in too because I've got a little side coffee gig called Chateau LeBert Coffee. Which I love. I mean, it's great. So tell us how the coronavirus has impacted your business because your business is the hair industry and that's been shut down for what three months almost now man it's uh you know for me obviously that end of things just got cut pretty much completely off i mean you know they uh had an option to get their stuff done while this but you know nobody's making any money you know i want to do that so luckily for me the vets and groomers were still rolling so um, I just made myself available to where they could drop stuff off my home office to uh, keep, you know, keep that traffic down for them, too. And that's kind of how the coffee thing got brought up. You know, I was like, man, well, really, it was just because I was bored. And then it kind of was like, well, maybe I can slightly supplement some income with that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. you pivoted. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been owning Ace's Edge? So I started Acer's Edge in 2013. How did it even start? Like, how did you like? So... 2013 is when I really, so 2012, you know, you know, I was at the, I was, I went to Warrior Center and, uh, Tell us about that. well, I started my recovery road there. So, you know, I had, uh, from pretty much things that got pretty rough for me from about the age of 28, you know, as far as like my drinking and using and stuff like that. And so I'd gone to treatment one time for like a little 30 day program and, uh, I thought that's all I needed, you know, and it wasn't. My, you know, it was like the first time I was out with, with a bunch of people, you know, my, uh, anxiety kicked through the roof, you know? And so like, I realized I was like, you know, I, I mean, I automatically out drank everybody that was there. I thought I was with a safe group and one of my dad's little church groups. Right. And next thing I know, they're all looking at me crazy. Cause I'm like three crown of cokes <laughs> down in like a 30 minute period. Yeah. So, uh, 
after that, I went through another, you know, two years of, of, uh, trying different things, trying to, you know, let doctors like give me, you know, things like I tried methadone programs. I tried some boxing, you know, all that different stuff that they try to use, but that wouldn't do anything, but just hold me off till I either broke from that program or whatever. And so I finally, um, detoxed myself and during that time i was like man i already know this is how this is about to go anyway i'm gonna it's gonna be a month before i'm back out there so check my brother had gone to warriors and uh decided to check myself in there thinking i was gonna maybe do another another little 30 day thing well after the 30 days i had some clarity and decided like man i'm just gonna stay here for the year and you know this is gonna be a time where i finally finish a program i signed up for their programs a year i'm gonna finish that out so when that was over, um, I, uh, I, you know, I was like, man, I'd been in the car business for 10 years. You know, actually, I'd been in the car business since I was 17. Um, auto detail first and then worked uh, in sales for 10 years and then took over all of uh, another dealerships, like all their major, their, their several locations mm-hmm. of detail shops as like their general manager. And uh, so um, I was like, man, I can't go back to that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just going to be a bad territory for me to be in. And, um, I was working, I actually did go back to, to, uh, Cadillac where I'd worked in high school. And so I was just working there for a minute, just while I finished, figured out what I was doing. And, uh, my sister's hair salon was right around the block on Yates. They might even know you had a sister. She's got mm-hmm. a brother and a sister. Yeah. There's five of us. Yeah. I'm the oldest. So there's four by the same mom and dad. And then I have a baby sister that's okay. uh, 20 Jacqueline. You've been oh Jacqueline. yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm going over there and I'm spending time with my sister and she kind of brought up, she was like, why don't you detail cars and sharpen scissors while you go back and get your business degree? And I was like, sharpen scissors. I thought it was a joke. You know what I mean? And, you know, kind of looked into it, saw the flexibility in it, uh, took off for Atlanta. And, uh, unfortunately during that time, my grandmother had just passed. So mm-hmm. she left me just enough to where I could, uh, get some equipment and things like that. So took off to Atlanta, came back, uh, started that up and was working with Nick with the ultimate foods business, you know, I remember at the that. same time. So, you know, that became the new way to, to do it. I think that's when I first saw you for the first time after like 10, 15 years or something mm-hmm. like that. I think that's like when I saw you in that kitchen back there with Nick, I was like, Oh, what's up, man? Yeah. Oh shit. What are we slanging through this motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, Nick wouldn't let me get away with that one anymore. Yeah. But, um, so then you started that business and, how is it going? Like you've been doing it for what, six years now, seven years. Dude, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, you know, I, I stayed with Nick for about three years, um, uh, which was very cool because, you know, Jason Pauly and all them, like he yeah. basically, I got a culinary education during the time I was there. Pauly does know that shit better than anybody I know, yeah, man. He's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he's, when he stayed here with us for like a month or something like that, yeah. and he was here like maybe 18 days, he would show me how to make like, cal- um, cauliflower pizza crust yeah. like a scratch and shit he's like no no no, no. Just stop looking at that video i'm like okay and he, he just <laughs> and, you know all of a sudden he got a fucking badass cauliflower pizza you know and he's I'm like fuck you appreciate it but yeah that guy definitely knows um the food business yeah. better than anybody and talking about that guy he's done a lot of same things that we've done mm-hmm. so you oh, know, yeah. that's how we all kind of like the common ground with all right. of us we all know about that but tell us about la chateau LeBert, how you say it? Chateau LeBert. Yeah, tell us how that one started. So the name was really a joke. So back when we were kids, you know, you know, you know, you know all my friends I grew up with, so Pat, TJ, and all of them, you know, they always messed with me about being different ethnicities. You know, I'd be, I was Jewish one minute, I was 
uh, Italian the next. I was American <laughs> Indian. I mean, anything else. So, and then there was Francois Labert was one of the names that I had. <laughs> and so uh, they started messing with me. They called it Chateau Labert every time I got any place. And so that always became kind of a joke. And uh, so that's 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 how that that little name kind of came about. So, you know, and uh, now what was the coffee? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, so like I said, the, uh, I don't know, man, you know, if it's, if this thing ever goes anywhere, like that name's changing. Why know? though? Like, well, I mean, let someone buy it from you and then, oh, you know what? You can, you can name it whatever you want. I got the millions of dollars. Yeah. Paid. Yeah. But like, so a lot of people that are, um, in recovery, they drink, I mean, not drink, but uh, they drink coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Or you said, what did you say the other day? It seems like they smoke cigarettes or drink coffee. Cause I dated a girl that she was in, uh, in a, a program yeah. and every not her person well she loved coffee but uh, a lot of the people they would like go outside and smoke in between them because i went to like two meetings with her just to yeah. see what it was like and uh but yeah i mean it's obviously those are better vices <laughs> than um you know yeah, the, the cigarettes gonna alcohol gonna, or the drugs the cigarettes only going to kill you like 50 years from now but yeah, you know yeah. the coffee's not going to do anything to you but like so like you just love coffee so you're yeah. like hey let me make my own well, and you know, I think like going back to that whole thing, like I think a lot of people when they go to treatment, like that's one thing they still allow you to do is like smoke cigarettes and they usually serve coffee. You know what I mean? They want everybody, you know, alert, doing whatever programs they have. Um, me, on the other hand, like when I went into treatment, I really like, so I'm there for like a month, the first 30 days. And, um, you know, being on like being on the methadone program and stuff like that, like, man, I gained a bunch of weight. Like, you know, I had the picture in my phone that I've showed people and it's like labeled old Asian lesbian, you know, because I'm, <laughs> I'm like big, no, you know, no facial hair, eyes are all squinty. You know what I mean? I've been, I'm just swole up probably full of water. And so, um, I'm watching guys within a month's time start just getting bigger. Man, I'm like, man, I'm already uncomfortable. Like I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. And so, uh, um, yeah, like it just kind of, so like, you know, everybody's out there smoking and I was too, you know, I was smoking cigarettes and stuff. And so part of that was like, I started, one of the things I did in treatment was they had a weight room. And like I said, this was a faith-based facility too, but they had a weight room that we could use consistently mm-hmm. and there really wasn't anything else to do. And then I had a friend there whose uh, aunt was like real into health. So she brought me this book by this girl, Kimberly Snyder called beauty detox and i was like what is it you know what i mean yeah I, but i got to reading it and it was a lot of insightful stuff about uh you know nutrients supplementing different things like the good carbs and things like that which was really cool you know when nick wanted me to get involved with them because a lot of that stuff was like kind of on board with what i had been researching for the past year and so uh you know, so the first month I was like, man, I can't, I got to quit. You know, I was winded every time I worked out, you know what I mean? So the, so the, you know, I've been smoking Newports and it was mm-hmm. just really like smoking Newports was a thing because when you're high, it's just a, something else to do. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so, um, went through that for a while. And so like, I, I hated like chewing tobacco or dip. So I was like, man, I got to do something like to get off of the cig. So I like dipped for a couple of weeks and like finally quit smoking, mm. you know? And so that was like, but that's what I think a lot of people, that's why they kind of stay to that. Cause it's like, even, you know, the people that are, that are kind of giving them suggestions are like, man, let's worry about the major things. You know what I mean? You can worry about that stuff on your own t- or whenever you get ready, you know, we'll work on that. We'll help you work on that if you want. But so the coffee thing, man, is just, I, 
every time I would be in one of my, one of my groups that I like to go to, like all we did was drink coffee, you know? Mm -hmm. And like make, and so I started, I was like, man, I've been drinking bad coffee every day. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> let me, let me try to turn this up. And it just became a new thing, you know, for me. So I started doing like uh, my own little cold brew batches and finding all these. And I just, I, I don't know. It just intrigued me. So what is, um, bullet coffee? I know keto people drink that that's so, like breakfast coffee or something like that. What is like, what the fuck is it? The bullets kind of like, there's different names for it too. Like you get a whole food, they call it mammoth coffee. You know, it's basically they put, uh, it's supposed to, stir up you know your body burning fat so it's got like butter and coconut oil that oh, put in okay, there. Okay, okay, that's okay. basically what that is mm. I get yeah you. so can you tell us more about the warriors and you know like how did that how did that program start and all that kind of stuff so like, how dave, did you get involved well dave so david vincent who was the the founder of warriors he uh he had some life struggles too like when you go in there you actually read his story and he he shares it too you know a lot of Crazy childhood, you know, and getting involved in being a thief and everything else. And then uh, what he ended up doing was when he finally, you know, he had a, a spiritual experience like in prison, I think. And then uh, he got out. It's been a while since I read the story. But, uh, you know, he got out and had had another run in with law, I think, one last time and finally started getting himself on track. Well, he started drive you know he'd be he he cut lawns i think at this time yeah and so he would drive down the interstate and he started seeing these uh you know homeless guys or whatever and started kind of snatching them up and it started like i think it think like he let them live in his house in his garage oh, wow and, you know started was doing like bible study stuff with them and and finally i think he got a place over in arkansas um that was in the back of like a carpet factory or something like that and uh got their own house and, and everything else. And then eventually uh, they outgrew that place. And so they came over to Memphis. So it's over in Orange Mound, which I thought to me at the time, I was like, man, this is kind of a sign. Cause like I grew up in Orange Mound as a little kid. Like I, my grandparents lived on Relton over there off Prescott for like from, uh, they lived there since my mom was a little girl, but like they, they lived there until I was 12 and then bought a house over by Craigmont, you know, once my parents divorced. So, and if y'all don't know about Orange Mound cooking, it's some of the best in the city. What's the name of that shop? Um, it's like a burger place over in Orange Mound. It's been there for like a hundred years. As long as Orange Mound's been around, it's been there. <clears throat> I don't really don't remember. remember. Mm. Well, I got a fun fact about Orange Mound. Did you guys know that Orange Mound was the first black community like built by African Americans? Really? Yeah. That's a little fact for you, bud. <laughs> Tony's black, if y'all don't even know. Hey, educate Tony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, so tell us how you became, you and Nick became friends. So you guys, you, your family moved to Craigmont area. Yeah. So um, my I had a note. My dad's parents lived over by the the Raleigh Springs Mall too. Okay. So when we uh, um, I got I actually got an optional scholarship to Craigmont. I was supposed to go to Raleigh, Egypt, so I got an optional scholarship to Craigmont. Smart motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, I did pretty good. I was a, you know, like I said, I was a straight A student, but I was also a perfectionist. That caused me a lot of problems in life too. Mm. And so uh, you would, you would live well with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Why is the TV a little crooked? Yeah. What did you do? Yeah, I'm still like that, you know. And it would, like I said, that's why I think uh, you know I started medicating myself later to kind of deal with how how OCD and how stressed out I would get about some of those situations. But the uh, so Nick. Um, when I got to Craigmont, um, 
I think seventh grade year, I just kind of did my thing with the honors program and stuff like that. Well, finally, I think about eighth grade year, I started hanging out with uh, Raglan. Mm. And uh, Nick lived across the street. So, like, we all became friends. I was doing martial arts back then. Nick and them were doing wrestling. And so, we just all kind of clicked, you know. And so, um, oh, we had some good times in the RBM neighborhood. Ooh, and Nick used to carry the gun. Yeah. <laughs> God, it was, used you to be. Man, you man kicked the <laughs> Dude, what was so funny is, like, we would, we would go over to Nick's, and my little brother's four years younger than us, and we would drop him off with Nathan and them. Oh God! So he'd be my little brother's like this. I mean, we're probably thirteen. My brother's like nine, riding around with kids that are like sixteen. <laughs> wow. I don't know what all he experienced, but uh, yeah, sure it was a good time. Man, Nick, crazy how he's always in everyone's lives. That's how I know everybody's through Nick. Mm-hmm. Do you know Antoine Harris? Yeah, that's how I know Nick. Yeah, me and Antoine. So I got to know Antoine through him. Now, me and Antoine had our own experiences together later on in life. Yeah, you know, to where we were running pretty hard together and getting in a lot of trouble together. And uh, yeah, it was. I actually stayed with him um, the last time before I went back to treat. Like, so after the Warrior Center thing, I didn't stay sober. You know, I, yeah, I, I was going to bring that. I was going to ask you mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Life turned around, but like I said, I didn't do anything after, you know, I was listening to advice from people who weren't addicts, you know, tell me like, Hey, this is what you need to do. And, and, uh, they had some good points, but like they didn't, you know, they didn't know I needed suggestions from people who had been there. So I experienced, I didn't go back out there. Like I was, I just had a lot of rough patches. And, uh, you know, Nick was there to watch some of that and, uh, you know, kind of catch me on that. But finally, um, in like what five years ago, almost no, four years ago, well, that's been almost five years. Um, I went back, they had this thing called recharge where you could go back to warrior center for like three months and get things back going. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I was staying with Antoine and I got checked and I was like, I got to come back. And I called them and they let me come back and kind of let me do my business once a week. People, you know, I mean, folks didn't know what was going on really because how I was working that. But um, I was working my business once a week, just kind of keep the ball rolling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and got out of there and finally started listening to the people who had like, there was a guy, um, Larry, that was over things at Warrior Center, like as far as like IOP, intensive outpatient and stuff okay. like that. And he's, he'd been telling me, and I just didn't, I wanted the easier, softer way. You know that's, what I mean? That's what I mean, yeah. I would want it that way too. Like, you know, I, everybody wants the easy pr- the path. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I didn't realize that if I would work like some sort of program, like um, I did, you know, I do 12 steps. So like that was going to be the game changer. It, ga- it gave me a whole different perspective on things. And, and so anyway, so being back at the center, I finally listened to him. And so the minute I left out of there, like I was, it wasn't two days later, I was sitting, I went to a New Year's party first and then I was hitting my meetings, you know? Yeah. And so I got, I dove into that. Um, still had a little struggle at first just because I was having problems being honest with, uh, the guy that was giving me my suggestions, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we worked through that, figured out, uh, where I was having some disconnects and cause there's a lot of spiritual stuff involved, you know, like I, you know, like Nick's podcast was so awesome. You know, talking about that was really spiritual. was a good podcast. Uh, Haley said that she started crying listening to it. Yeah, like I mean, it was good, man. Like, sorry. Oh, you're good. <laughs> no, mine. So mine just was more on a. I have had several spiritual experiences, but mine has been more of on an educational variety. So, um, you know, because I just had a lot of stuff from my past. You know, my dad. Um, my dad was a great father. He just he struggled. Like he dude was like 
super intelligent. You know, he just passed away during all this stuff like a month ago. Oh shit. Sorry. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. He, uh, but he was a, he had a doctorate in English literature and stuff like that, but my dad was a dreamer, you know what I mean? And so his dreams, but that, what he did, he always inspired us to be dreamers too. And, and, you know, not to be scared to fail is what he really taught me. But I blame that man for so much stuff because like, you know, we, we got caught up in a lot of, he, he, a lot of his dreams became cons. Like they got out from under him. And so once the ball was rolling, you know, they became cons. And there was even situations where we, we did move to Huntsville, Alabama from like kindergarten to third grade. And during that time, my dad got involved with some mob people. Mm. And uh, there was even a, a time where they came looking for my dad because some stuff had happened. This was right before we moved away from there. And like I had to hide my siblings in the closet. Jesus. You know what I mean? So like, but those experiences, you know what I mean? Like, you know, you think of that and it's like, man, that's terrible. But like, you know, my dad's human too. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? He made these mistakes. Well, see, I couldn't see that stuff, you know? So during that time, like all I could see was that my father uh, ruined my, you know, my childhood and my life. You know what I mean? Not, I couldn't see the good. Like nowadays, because of what I've been able to see in myself and my own faults, like I can, I can actually remember all the good times. Yeah. You know? And so a lot of those experiences happen, you know, like I shared with you about like my senior year of high school, you know, that was, that was, that was an intense time for me because, you know, I'm, I'm about to uh, finally hit the world you know, after high school and, and, you know, my dad has taken off on the run from the, from the feds, you know, from one of his cons. So that's when, that's when really everything started to get out of hand, you know? Well, it's kind of like what you just said, like you blamed your dad for everything that's happened, you know, what happened, but like, and and I think everybody does that because people don't realize until you realize, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to realize yourself, but like my friend Matthew, that's been on the podcast twice, you know, he, he asked his dad, you know, like, why didn't you do anything when all this stuff was happening to me? And he's like, son, I didn't know. Yeah. And, you know, he believed his father. He's like, no one ever told me. Yeah. If someone had told me that they were doing this stuff to you, I would have fucking gone down there and killed them. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, so when his dad told him that, it like lifted stuff off him, you know, like he's like, okay, well, you know, I can't hate my dad forever. He didn't, he honestly didn't know. Yeah. But, he hates his mother because his mother knew and she just, oh, they're just joking around kind of with you. You know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. you know, so like, but yeah, it's, you can't always hate. You have to look why you're hating sometimes too, I guess is what I'm trying to get at, right? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. But like, but now, I don't know. Well, I guess it's uh, seeing something from somebody else's perspective. Yeah. You know, because when you're a child, that's all you see is, you know, your vision and, you know, like, why don't my parents give me this and why can't they do this for me? Mm-hmm. And then when you become an adult, you realize that, like, all the responsibilities that come with being an adult, like paying bills and, you know, so your dad may be trying to, be trying to hustle to provide for everybody, you know, and it may have been not the legal way to do it, but that's the way he saw he could do it mm-hmm. to make everybody do, you know, be able to provide for everybody. It's been nice getting those because that was the big thing. It was like uh, when I was having those struggles with being honest with my, my, we'll say sponsors, what we were right. So it's so my sponsor. Like he was like, dude, he was like, man, you know, you've, you know, you've made all these, uh, you know, these, these decisions in life too. Like you've put your dad up on this pedestal that he was supposed to be a certain way and wasn't allowed to be human, you know? And uh, so, you know, that having that, that, perspective opened up and then actually having the opportunity before my father passed to actually realize like, man, I've never actually, I always said like, Oh, he never would, 
you know, clearly tell me what actually happened. Mm -hmm. I'd never really asked, Yeah, you know, and he wasn't going to just bring it up because like that was a, that was a wound for him. And he'd finally, you know, he had noticed over the years, like really what had happened because he watched me and my brother, you know, kind of spiral out of control once everything because uh you know at first like he didn't notice anything because like when he did kind of come back like so he did eight years of prison once the once they found him and uh you know for from the outside view of most people like i was doing great you know what i mean i had a i had a uh i had a nice car i had a big house like at an early age you know and so people didn't know where that was really coming from right you know and uh you know, because like, and in my, and like, I mean, my grandparents, everybody, like in, in, in my own perspective, like I was successful, you know, you couldn't tell me anything because I'm paying my bills. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've got some young motherfucker that's got so much money now, yeah, you know, yeah. didn't have much, but now he has all this money. Well, that, that kept my, you know, like a, so that like kept me for the longest, like when, when, so when he took off on the run, like. And really, I could I I looked at it. That's another thing. Like I was like, oh, I was homeless when my dad left. I could have asked my grandparents or somebody if I could have stayed with him, but I had too much pride. Yeah. So then, when I'm struggling to like put food on my table because I've right before it happened, I had a car and everything, and I'm just working at a detail shop at Cadillac, and so I'm like, all right, well, I'm watching my friends make, you know, drive new cars, having all this money, and I'm like, man, I've got a past of, you know, similar to what Nick talked about, you know, selling candy in school. Like I was eight, and I would go and collect pecans off the pecan tree, and like See, go that's, and that's hustle right there. Yeah, I never heard that anyone say that before. You know, that's that's straight up hustle, dude. I knew all the old folks in the neighborhood, and I would go and be like, hey, I got, I'd fill up my little lunch bags, and even my siblings, like. This was during the time we lived in Huntsville, that brief period. Like I would post them up by the little school, which was right down our street, our, our elementary school. And I would set them up a table with lemonade and popcorn. And I would ride my bike to the store, take it to my mom, have her pop it, make the lemonade, take it to them. And they were, it was like they were working for me. And so nice. <laughs> I always had some little hustle going on. So I'm, I'm thinking like, yeah, I told Nick, I was like, you could never beat me with candy. Like I had five, I had five for a dollar Friday. Like you can't, you couldn't compete with that. <laughs> And so high school ends, you know what I mean? And so I, you know, at the time, like, you know, my, my only real medicine or vice I had then was, you know, smoking pot. So I decided I was like, man, there's nothing wrong with, with, uh, making a little money off that. So it became like me throwing in with my friends when they, they mentioned it one day and I was like, Hey, I just got paid. Let me get a, get in on that. And so, you know, and then I ended up getting a lot of connections, um, within the first year and you know next thing you know it's just uh it's insane you know what i mean like um that i mean i i got busted when i was 22 um finally and like pretty much like that day i had unloaded like 30 pounds wow. you know and so you know that type of money man it was a high but i i had gotten to the point too right before i got busted where i was kind of miserable like i started realizing like the the you know i had a lot of you know, a lot, well, a lot of friends like Josh, Josh told me one day, um, he was like, man, I just thought your family had money. You know, about Josh Robinson? yeah, really? yeah. He was like, I never knew what was going on. Like, I just thought your family had money or something, you know? And, uh, cause he came to warrior center when I told him my yeah. story the first time when it was full of like blaming my parents, mom, dad didn't love me enough BS, you know? And, uh, so I got, I got caught. Luckily, like they caught me at the end of the day. So like there was barely anything there. You know, and, and, you know, the, I had left my apartment and, uh, uh, this one guy had actually, uh, had set me up. And so, um, all of a sudden I'm driving my car 
through the Kroger at Trinity and I get swarmed by all these narcotic officers and I'm, I, man, I thought I was getting carjacked. So I threw my car in reverse and I'm like bawling through the parking lot. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I see all these guns and I'm like, yeah, put my hands up, you know, let them take me. So, um, but man, you know, there was, and don't think that like the question of like maybe, uh, you know, giving somebody up to get out of trouble didn't cross my mind that it, it, you know, stuff like that'll cross your mind. But at the same time, like I had again, like this moment of clarity, like, man, I, you know, I put myself in this situation, you know, I'm just going to do it. And so I actually met with my guy like the next day and like, he kind of set me down and kind of told, he had been through it. So he's like, yeah, this is what you're going to see. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, this is how it's going to go down. So man, I got this, I got a felony and I got two years probation and I flew straight for like two years, you know, and just kind of was at this point I'm selling cars. Like I said, I always had a job. There was like one three month period. I didn't have a job. And, uh, but man, like, so that's when things kind of turned around. So I got off probation and I was already kind of dibbling, dabbling in the, in the hustle again. And this time it had turned into, you know, pills. Like I was still doing some of the stuff with weed, but like, I was in the car business and folks, man, they, it's like Skittles, man. Well, they, they got to know my business because they sent a narcotic van up there one time because they wanted to search one of my storage units. So everybody's like, well, man, we really know what's going on with now. So it's like, they kind of got a glimpse of, of me. And so I started getting all these requests and, you know, and started, uh, you know, we were, we part, man, you work, like I said, 90 hours a week, you know, Mm -hmm. 80 hours. And so it became this big party lifestyle and, um, before I know it, like I'm taking the pills too and, and, uh, you know, and, and partying all the time and doing a lot of, lot, lot of different drugs. And, uh, before it's over with, by the time I had gotten to be a general manager at the, at that place running all their detail shops, like they were finding me sleeping in my office, you know what I mean? Like it's gotten bad, Damn. you yeah. know? And so it was like another two years. It was like another two years or, or a year or something like that. they even actually gave me an opportunity. They're like, man, if you go to treatment, you'll be good. I took that as a 30 day chance to just stay home and get, you know, get messed up. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. So all the money you made, I mean, did you hide any, like, but nobody knows, or I mean, do you still have any or no, 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 that stuff's gone. I mean, I had, you know I mean? I, I did like most people, like I did save a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, all my cars and stuff were paid for. Um, you know, so I, I did that. Like I had the, I had that stuff. So, you know, in those cars, like, you know, I, I, you know, I sold, I sold one of those, like after everything happened, you know, to pay for, pay for some stuff, but I had enough money to really pay my lawyer and do all that stuff and had money put back. Cause like six months after that happened, I bought a brand new house out in Cordova, Yeah, you know? And so, um, but you know, it wasn't long before once I started really getting out there that that money that had still been lingering from those, that three-year money rampage was gone, you know, because, you know, I still had, I mean, you know, we'd, we'd, I guess I didn't show, I wasn't as flashy as some, but like, I mean, the man, the weekends, I'd, I'd, I'd really break it out, you know, and, and I'd buy, you know, I'd go on these sprees with like, back then, you know, you had like iceberg and stuff like that, where like an iceberg, set was like a thousand dollars you know for some jeans and more than that really you know what i mean and i'd have all these things i mean i had i had stupid stuff i had a mink bomber jacket <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I, was, 
I had platinum diamond ear- earrings in my ears, you know? Yeah. So like, I thought I was really doing something and, and, you know, I needed those things to feel better about myself because really deep down what was going on with me is a lot of insecurity. Like, man, as a, at an early age, like struggling with that whole perfectionist thing and mm-hmm. stuff like, you know, and then growing up in different. So with my dad, we moved a lot because like, Either because the financial situation at the time or, you know, I always looked at it like, oh, well, his con fell through and he didn't want everybody to know where we lived. I don't know what the situation. We moved a lot. I know that. And uh, the only stationary places I had were my grandparents. So, like, it was all I was always having to fit in to a new area. Okay. So becoming a chameleon, you know, and so that's, you know, that that wears that wears on you. But uh, it became this skill set I had. And so, but then I was full of these, uh, like I said, a lot of insecurities, financial insecurities, and like just all this stuff that was just eating me alive. And so that's the thing, like a lot of, I, I, well, I know me as an addict, like I dealt with this, in, this uh, internal uniqueness that I thought nobody could relate to. I had, you know, actually my childhood story with my dad and stuff and things that at the, I'd say at the age of 23, if I'd look back, like. I could have made it into this. I could have. I looked at it as a movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is a this is this movie. This uh, dramatic, uh, thrilling movie. You know that's how I looked at it. it really wasn't anything. It yeah. wasn't anything special. You know now that I see things now, but um, it's a little. You know, a lot of people have experienced similar things in life. So I'm not as unique as I think I am. Yeah. So when was the first time you started using drugs? How old were you? So at 12, I started smoking weed. Really? Yeah. But I had drank, uh, when I was eight. Mm-hmm. So my, I remember one time my dad was grilling out and he gave me a beer, you know? And so I had drank then and, um, just a couple times. And like, I think that, but that was when my parents divorced, you know, yeah. too, at like 12. And so when that happened, like all the connection I felt I had, um, with all the honors kids in school. Mm hmm. Now I had a connection with the, with the kids that had a lot of, you know, family struggle. Right. You know, even though stuff had been going on my family forever, like all of a sudden I had this real solid connection with them. And so, um, you know, so I kind of started gravitating towards, you know, the, the kids that were had that freedom because the broken family, you know, to smoke weed and do, you know, to party a little more than everybody. And so, um, yeah, that stuff really started kind of kind of taken over but you know i never looked at it as being anything bad because it was just mainly you know smoking pot mm-hmm. like uh, i really didn't have a experience with actual hard drugs till i was 19 you know um as when i tried cocaine yeah what do you think mm. about when they Love say it. that <laughs> <laughs> so good <laughs> when they say that we should legalize all drugs um like have it like mod, uh, like you go into a center and you can do like some heroin or something like that under like uh, under supervision, supervision like yeah. health supervision healthcare. I don't know, man. I mean, I guess some of these countries do that. I think doesn't Amsterdam Amsterdam do something yeah, like, that? like that? And like it might work for them. I don't know. Like uh, that'd been a free for all for me, yeah. you know, because I think it's more of a you know, there's there's probably people out there that can can handle that type of lifestyle. Yeah. I just know I can't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause I know there's this guy I, I follow online and he had a lot of struggles with like heroin and stuff like that. And he got clean from that, but he was still drink. Yeah. But then like recently he's like, I can't even drink anymore, man. Cause, Cause it's getting to the to point. Stuff because yeah. then you start wanting cocaine and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh shit. Well, I'll just do a little, you know, a little, you know, but like it just leads like, 
you when you're drinking, there's nothing more that I want than it's a fucking big ass nine. Oh yeah, like, you know, especially like you like my my fifth white claw. Like yeah, <laughs> god damn it! I tell you when it hits me is like, or when it used to hit me is like I would drink, and then once I started getting to that point where I was tired, you know, because I oh, drank so yeah. much that I'm just like. I got to keep this going. Yeah. You know, it's time for some Coke, you know, and that's yeah. what would all, that's what, so when I, cause when I got out of Warriors, like that's what took me back was like, you know, I still couldn't, I could accept that it wasn't okay for me to do these illegal things, mm-hmm. but I couldn't accept that I was so different that I couldn't drink, you yeah. know, like right. a man drinks, you know, that's what I, that's the mindset that I had. And so, um, I'd go through that and then. That's kind of when I finally kind of accepted, like, man, there's an, I got an issue with anything, anything mind altering. Like, I, I, there's, there's a struggle there, you know? Did anybody else in your family have that kind of problem? Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, my, I, there was a, there was a little, there was some history, you know, with my like great grandparents and mm-hmm. cousins and great cousins and stuff like that. But, you know, I know my dad had his own personal, uh, he was functioning. Yeah. But, you know, he, he had his, his, uh, issues with drinking my brother um you know did like so you know and uh i'm not really sure about my sisters you know like uh what what all struggles they've had in that area but i do know for a fact like me i mean because he'll even tell you you know um his struggles with that so um and you know but there was a lot of there was there was issues like as a kid that kind of made me wonder you know with some different things like you know my great-grandmother actually jumped off the Memphis bridge and committed suicide. Oh, wow. So, you know, a lot of that stuff, man, with addiction and stuff, there's, there's some mental, you know, disconnects there or, or faulty wiring, you know, with all that. And uh, there's a lot of, um, I think a lot of people that have had that struggle with depression, Yeah, you know, which was something I struggled with. I just didn't really know it. Like it took me till a couple of years ago to actually admit that that was, you know, part of my issue. Yeah. Well, I think that's a thing, especially with men, a lot of men don't want to say that they have mental problems because yeah. they don't want to be viewed as weak. Because mm-hmm. you know, yeah. everyone's like, "Suck it up, man!" What? What? what yeah. What, yeah. What, what yeah. are you crying? Like, you know, yeah. you're not looked at as like a regular man if you like, right? Share your feelings with your friend or something like that. You know, like, mm-hmm. look at this fucking. Okay. Yeah. Don't invite this guy to the next party. You know, no more cookouts with this guy. But it's true, man. Like, and now all the like, so many people right now are going through depression with what's going on right now because they can't go out. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I'm, I guess for me it's different because I work every day. I actually have to go to my account, you know? So yeah. I'm not stuck at home like he is, like Tony is, because I have to go to – I have like 15 stores I go to. like, And that Nick Evil said this and Tony said that. He's like, you more than likely very contracted it. It just didn't affect you like the way it affected some people. Yeah. Because, dude, I – we have we wear those latex gloves. We change them every count. But you know, there's people breathing on you, talking to you when you make an order. Like they don't know if it's spitting on you or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, but like, and all these people can't go out. It's like not just like go downtown, get party, fucking get hammered, do a bunch of coke, right? But like, they can't even. They're afraid to even go outside to like the park or walk or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, and now all these young people are having depression from that, and it's crazy that it's. So many people are depressed over not being not crazy, but it's it's sad that they are depressed because of that. Yeah. You know, like it's like they can't control it. Like it's something that they don't can't control. We've had more overdoses during this time than deaths than we have um people die from this COVID thing. Yeah, I right saw now. that. I That's saw that crazy. the other day. Yeah. I mean it's like 
And you know, and usually we see that, and that's what they're talking about. But now it's just covert, covert, covert. Everyone's dying from that. But no, people are still dying from other things. But you know, this is what the whole world is fo- focused on to find a cure or find a vaccine. Because I mean, look what it's done in economies around the world. Look what it's done here in Memphis. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have friends that own restaurants and bars or whatever. And you know, if they didn't have success before this happened, a lot of these places aren't going to open back up. Yeah, and you know. Our buddy, he's fortunate because his bar is one of the busiest bars in Memphis, and his other his restaurant is fairly busy too before all this. So he had a little extra cushioning, you know. But like there's people, uh, Sternos by Chef Josh over mm-hmm. there, and uh, by the little Einstein Brothers across the street, he's closed permanently now. Oh really? Yeah. He um he tried to do the to go thing. It worked for a little while, and then um, people just stopped doing it or something like that. Because my buddy Philip. Um, he he's like the bartender out there, and you know that he took a picture one last time of the bar. We just you know it's empty, and you know people like they close, and he was like, yeah, he just couldn't make it work because you got to think rent there is probably like twenty grand a month, and they're not gonna forgive your rent. It's yeah. not like the people that own uh, Laurel Shopping Center, you know those guys. They forgive rent in April, and they forgive rent this month, and I heard they're gonna do June and July too. Yeah, because no one's buying stuff. I mean, you know, we're getting stuff from Amazon like always, but. No one's going shopping. No one's doing this. You know, Kroger and Walmart are busy. Don't get me wrong, but like, like these little mom and pop gas stations, they're like they're like trickling, man. But the only yeah. thing, things that are selling is beer and liquor and cigarettes. You know, because those are essential, mm-hmm. and that's why I ha- that's why I got to keep my job because I'm an essential worker, which is so fucking stupid. It's beer, man. Like, but I'm I'm thankful I can that I was able to keep it because you know there for a little while we didn't know if we we're gonna they're gonna furlough all of us or not. But now some of us are like, man, kind of wish they kind of did follow us because we had $800 a fucking week, you know, not doing shit. And, you yeah. know, but I'm like, uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy how it's affected the world, man. They need to they need to find a vaccine soon because the longer it goes, the people's money is going to deplete, deplete, deplete. It's like the poor are getting poorer, but the rich guys, the rich people are getting super rich. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like every time something like this happens, the rich always get richer because yeah. they own everything that you have to buy. So it just fucked up. Man, I was, I was, I mean, I, it kind of worried me at first because, you know, I just bought a house. Yeah. You know, right down, down the street. street. So, you know, I bought the house and like, I pretty, and then I was like, I'll be smart and I'm not going to finance anything. I'm going to go ahead and buy all my appliances and everything that I need, like go ahead and get the house ready. And then this hit. And so it, it concerned me at first, but luckily, you know, I don't live way outside my means. So like, you know, I don't have a lot of, I don't really have, have a lot of bills and things. So like there wasn't a, other than my mortgage, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like my other stuff is pretty small. So, um, and you know, like I said, having the, the little bit that was coming on with the, the groomers and things like that, like I love my clients, you know what I mean? And they were, they, uh, the ones that could, you know, were getting their stuff to me and letting me knock it out for them, you know, and kind of keep them going. You know, I understand that, of course, the hairstyles, you know, I mean, that, that was, that was really hard on them. So I had a couple of them actually try to show me a little support buying gift cards and things. So that was nice cool. too. So, and you know, everything's going to kick back off with them yeah. um, for me. I'm just trying to handle stuff in a way that I don't cause them any more stress, you know, because they're already having to follow all these state, you know, state oh, yeah. board uh, criteria and so, I mean, I've just pretty much told them for now, like, look, you know, I'm appointment only. Y'all just call me when you need me. I don't want to add any extra traffic to your spot. And if I am in the area, um, if anything, I'll call them and be like, hey, you know, do y'all need me? You know, or they can, they know they can bring their stuff to my right. office too. So what's your advice for people 
that are like in quarantine right now that are dealing with addiction or struggling with addiction who are sober that might think about relapsing? Call somebody. Call somebody. I mean, because so right now they have like the uh, the Zoom thing uh-huh. is really big in recovery right now. Man, it's still there's something about you know one on one in person. Yeah. So for me, that for the first couple of weeks, like that kind of sufficed. But you know, I started calling people, like even people that weren't in recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, just to ask them how their day was and have a conversation. People that I normally wouldn't call, yeah. you know, on a day to day basis, and uh, you know, just having talks with them. And some, most of it was not about recovery stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but it was just like me. You know, the, what what works in that sense is just getting outside of yourself. I mean, because man, addiction is like a very selfish thing, mm-hmm. you know, and so breaking that cycle by like I said, calling others, seeing how they are. So that that becomes like the medicine. You yeah. know what I mean? So like me doing, trying to do things for others and trying to assist um, really gets me out. of Like like if, if I was to call Raul and he was having a bad day, letting him vent to me yeah. gets me out of my head long enough to get my own. I get relief right. you yeah. know, from that. And so that's the big thing is like, you know, um, just trying to be of service to other people. You know, yeah. is a big key there. Like they say, simple acts of kindness can go a long way. Yeah. Shut up. It's true. <laughs> oh, shut up. It's true, Stop man. That was- <laughs> no, so I got a question. So I don't know how it works. So when you're in, when you're in a program or, you know, you're fighting addiction and you beat it, are you, are you quote unquote cure mm-hmm. or are you always, is it always in the back of your mind? So, you know, uh, the statement is usually used is recovered. Okay. You know, and so, but it's not, it's, there's never cured, you know what I mean? Right. The minute I think I'm cured, I'm going to be in trouble. So it's you. like, you know, uh, back to recovered is just being back to a, whatever you want to call normal, you know, okay. state of mind and perspective. And as long as I continue to, uh, continue to, to do the things, you know, try to be of service or, um, and continue to grow spiritually. Like the man I start becoming cl- closed minded, I'm also in trouble. Mm. So it's like, you know, if I continue to try to reach for, you know, spiritual growth and doing the right thing, because that's the thing that happens. Like, man, when you get sober, it's like now you got to face life on life's terms. So it's like, um, I don't deal with hangovers from drugs and alcohol. I deal with emotional hangovers when I don't do the right thing. Yeah. You know, if I was to rip off a client or if I was to, you know, steal from somebody or just treat somebody like garbage, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that stuff will eat me up, you know what I mean? And, and that's why there's parts of things of like, you know, when I do, when I do something that's out of character because either I'm having a bad day or just whatever, whatever's going on, like, you know, it's my, in my best interest to, making amends as quick as possible. Okay. You know? So it's kind of like a, if you did something fucked up while you were on a substance, you could be like, oh, it was because of the booze or drug that made me do it. Now that when you're sober and if you do something messed up with somebody, it's like it's a, more of it's you know, it's you that did it only. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. That's interesting. Well, we still had to go back and make those past amends too. Oh, you know? do you really? Yeah, unless unless it's something that's going to cause harm. Yeah, you know, to go back and bring that back up. You know, what I mean, it's like whether it's financial or whatnot. Yeah, you know, what I mean, um, you know that it's it's very important to go back and try to correct those wrongs. 
is so is that a difficult thing to do when you know that you did somebody wrong and you got to go back and say hey i did this a party you know to deal with your i guess recovery it's not hard as long as you don't put any expectations on how they're going to react okay so it's not it's not about you it's about them more so it's about cleaning your side of the street okay is would be a better so like because I can't control how they're going to respond. Yeah. They might go tell me to go fuck myself, you know, yeah. or they might, you know, they might, it might mean like I've had, I've had experience with that where it was like they had actually had multiple people do them wrong in their life. And by me owning it, you know what I mean? Like it finally gave them peace in all those other aspects, mm-hmm. you know, but then I've also had the folks, you know, don't ever talk to me again. You know yeah. what I mean? You did what you did, whatever. I'm glad that you're finally sober, but lose my number, you know, type yeah. thing. You know, and so like as long as you don't put any type of uh, expectation of how that's supposed to go, you know, mm. um, yeah, it's just like I said, just cleaning that stuff up is is uh, is very good. Now, um, you know, now you know, I mean, like doing st- it's it's even harder though when you you don't have those things to blame it on. Yeah, you know what I mean when you treat someone like crap or or do something out of character, but. You know, what I mean, those things that, you know, you know, and then you got that's where you got your your uh, your your uh, sponsor or whatever, okay. you know, is to be like, hey, this is a because like my perspective still can be slightly off on certain things, you know, because I'm attached to it. Yeah. You know, and having that kind of guidance, uh, you know, really helps because there's certain times where I didn't know an amends, but I thought I did. And I was about to make things real bad, oh, you know, <clears throat> so. Wow. Yeah, it's a. a- I guess that's something that a lot of people don't think about until they've heard somebody else's point of view, you know, like, uh, as far as like recovery. Cause you just think, okay, you got clean. That's it. Yeah. You know, you're just not drinking. You're not doing drugs anymore. There's no other, you know, other than, you know, not doing those things, but you don't think about the stuff that you did to somebody else that you have to amend later on. Mm-hmm. Cause like I said, I always just assume like once you did your, you know, the, Telling people that, you know, I did you wrong. That's it. I don't think you have to go back, you know, and still do it to the day or whatever. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So it's good stuff though, man. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, allowed me to, cause man, I really, dude, when I, when I got sober, I realized like I didn't know myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd never, because like when I started, even though it might've been, been small, when I started, uh, even as simple as like smoking pot at 12, like I kind of cut that off. You know what I mean? It wasn't. I didn't, you know, there was stuff that, there was stuff that was character building during that time that, that I noticed now, but I still like, it took me getting sober and, uh, spending some time with myself to realize like what I really like to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? My passions, my, uh, who my, what my character is, the fact I love coffee, you know? Yeah. Mm. So just random stuff, you know what I mean? Like finding out that really, uh, embracing that I have an artistic side. Okay. You know? Now, do you, did you have to cut a lot of people off? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the most part though, you know, a lot of my friends, it was just the friends that were still out there, mm-hmm. you know, like I just, uh, I had to love them from a distance type thing, you know, yeah. and I'm always here if they, you know, if they want to reach out. Yeah. But, um, as far as like me, like, you know, there's a saying, like, if you go in the barbershop and hang out long enough, you're eventually going to get a haircut. So, like, I can't go hang out with the guys that are, right. you know, doing dope. Now, it's a little different. Like, if I have a, you know, if I want to go, like, if there's some music playing and Raul calls me or you guys call or, you know, whoever is like, hey, man, there's this band playing, you know, come on. It's, it's some really good stuff. I think you'd like it. Come check it out. 
no problem with that. Like I don't really have a desire to use or drink anymore. As long so as long as I have good intentions, it's okay for me to go wherever I want. Yeah. You know what I mean? But obviously like if you told me that there's there's a badass band hanging out in a crack house, mm. that's not where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. You know like yeah. yeah. So, um but yeah. Do you still have people that are, are in your life that kind of be like, "Oh, let's just do a shot or have a beer. You'll have folks that don't completely understand and they're, you know, and they'll, I don't have it really happen much anymore. Cause like a lot of the people I hang out with now are recovery folks okay. just cause we've grown, we've developed these relationships, but you know, I mean, I'll go like during the holidays, I'll be in salons and you'll have somebody, you know, Hey, you want to drink too? Mm. You know? And I just don't say anything. I'm just like, no, yeah. You know, and they usually don't question that. So, uh, and, you know, I don't have to explain myself. Yeah. Any, like, I, I remember at first, like, when I first got sober, like, I needed air. Like, this is the first time I've actually talked about this in a long time, pu- publicly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, in the deal, like, you know, we do have a, a thing of anonymity. And so, and I really appreciate that. Um, but at the same time, like, it is my story. And, you know, Raul, you know, it asked me to come speak about it. And so, I'm cool with that. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty transparent, but I do appreciate it. Um so I usually, other than going to like a treatment center or stuff like that, it's kind of my, pri- you know, it's, it's basically my private life. So, but when I first got, got sober, like I needed to go to the hilltops and, and sing, you know, sing that mm-hmm. I was sober and tell yeah. everybody that I was sober and, and, you know, post stuff on social media and like, you know, I don't have to do that anymore, you know? So was it weird for you? Well, not weird. But like when we, when people ask you for a drink, they're like, "Oh no, he's sober." Was it like, "Fuck you, bitch!" It's not the end of the world that yeah, I'm sober, you yeah. know, or "Fuck you, dude." Like, was it like people do that a lot? Like, it oh, was. No, no. Yeah, it was at first. You know, I'd have people uh, like I. So I had to take a trip out of town with somebody uh, two years ago, and uh, you know, the guy he didn't know. You know, what I mean, he had no clue, and there was no reason for me to bring it up anyway, and so. But one of the other other guys that knows me, he's like, dude, you know Bert's sober. Like, y'all are about to go out of town together. And, like, I know you like to go check out these breweries. Like, yeah. be, you know, watch him. Make sure you don't do nothing. And I just thought it was funny, you know, yeah. when I heard it. So, you know, so folks don't understand. You know, folks, they, it's it's hard to understand. It's just one of those things that, um, like, I was speaking. I was I brought uh, a little thing to a treatment center. And I was just trying to tell him, like, man, I can sit there and explain it. Till I'm blue in the face to somebody, but unless they've ever experienced, right? Like, they there's still going to be a, a small fraction that they do that they cannot grasp. I don't care how much they want to. Yeah, you know, even people that work in recovery, like they're still going to be because they don't have that personal experience, you know, to be able to actually f- know it, to the T what you're talking about. Mm-mm-mm. So I got another question. When are you going to talk? I mean, not talk, but uh, when are you going to make a cookbook? Cookbook. You mean, uh, yesterday you made a fucking pie that looked like your grandma made it, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ, it looks so fucking good. I was like, looking at it, I was like, uh Man, like I said, Polly, man, he just, uh I had, I've been cooking since I was 12, so right. that was also a thing for me. It just, and what, what it was is I became really good at mimicking things that I tried in other restaurants. And so now, now having this new passion to do that became fun because it's like, well, now I get to find all these stuff to substitute these certain ingredients. Okay. So that was actually my grandmother and mom's recipe okay. that I did the pie. Like she let me do a pie with her. Like baking is not the area that I've 
focused on. And so she let me do that with her on, on my birthday. And I was like, man, I want to do one of my spins on that one. And did that lavender peach pie. You know, I got to get bougie with it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that was that man, you know, but like I said, Polly, man, I, I told him when I was going back to business school, uh, when I first, like I said, was working with them and doing my other stuff, which I did go back to, to business school for my business administration degree, um, during that time. Um, and so, but I, but I, right before I did it, he was, I was like, man, should I go to business school or should I follow another passion and do culinary? And he's like, ah, oh, screw that, man. He was like, you're back here with me. I'm gonna teach you more than you would have taught, yeah. you know, learn in culinary school. Go to business school, stay back here with me, which I did for two years, and I'll teach you whatever you need to know, you know. And so that's where a lot of that stuff, you know, kind of comes from. Cool. So I get asked, you know, when are you going to do some sort of restaurant or something like that? And, you know, who knows, man? You know, I, that's the real passion I have is uh, – and it's it's showed through my through my past, even into the illegal stuff, like was the entrepreneurship part was where I got the drive. I love doing marketing stuff with my business and, right. you know, coming up with new ideas. And so, you know, who knows, you know I mean? I'm playing with the coffee idea right now. Yeah. So, you know, that could turn into a coffee shop slash. I mean, every time you post a picture, I'm just like, how long did it take that motherfucker to make that? It looks like it's like a, ex- like a breakfast with like 10 things and like fresh, <laughs> fresh jam he just made and like bagel he just probably made himself too. I mean, this dude is crazy. Like, but talk about that. Um, when, when you were working out all the time, remember how like fucking lean you got? Mm-hmm. How, how low did you drop to? Like, how, what's your, what was your body fat? Because you were fucking walking out like Rick McCracken out of here and shit. Yeah. I was like, fuck. Yeah, man, I don't even know where it was. I know at one point I had gotten, I mean, I and played with jacked, a lot of that man. stuff. Like, well, so when I got out of uh, Warriors, like I actually did uh, Memphis, uh, what, Health and Fitness? Yeah, 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 I remember that. And I still had like the weight in my face. Like, I had lost <laughs> the other stuff. And, but I, but during the, so while I was in the center though, like I would go on the weekends and do, this was actually one of the reasons I I got so lean was like, I would do like the, uh, um, I mean, I researched on that book. And so I would go on the weekends. And so instead of going home to hang out with family, like a lot of the guys would do, I would go paint somebody's house or do something that was active. You know what I mean? Mm. And because I knew I was like, all right, I can, that's exercise in itself too plus i'm able to um buy my food so like i had this budget that if i could get 60 dollars a week i could afford my food for the week and i had like this green smoothie that man gave you the worst gas ever the guys at the center like always talked about that (laughs) so like because it kept your body in detox and then i basically ate i ate like a pescatarian pretty much a vegetarian but on the weekends like i would make like i had this little little plug-in uh, electric skillet i'd take outside because they wouldn't really let you cook there but yeah. they didn't bother me about that so i would make like fish tacos on the weekends to treat myself but through the week it was just smoothie maybe peanut butter as a snack um this mixed salad that i had this uh ginger dressing that i really loved that i would eat every day with avocados so like man i did that for like a year you know and i got down to 175 at one point um, and then bulk the like, and then the muscle kind of build caught up, and I ended up being about 185 at that time. And so, you know, and then then what happened was when I got out of there, like I had nothing. I had, you know, I went in there with just the clothes I had, mm-hmm. a lot of nice clothes from my past, but I, you know, I gave that stuff away because I didn't want to. I, I was trying to like empty my past, yeah. you know, at this point, and so. 
but man, I had to, I was living in a, um, uh, sober living apartments downtown and I was working at Bud Davis Cadillac on the other side of 240. So I was riding a mountain bike from there every day, <laughs> 45 minutes there and back. And so, and then I, at that time I didn't have a program. So I just thought that busy, busy, busy was the answer. Mm-hmm. And so like I'd be at the gym twice, two days every day. And I'm riding a mountain bike 45 minutes back and forth to work, you know, each trip back and forth to work. I'm still doing these these dots. And at this point, I'm starting to help Nick and them with the delivery of Ultimate Foods before the storefronts open. Okay. So um, that's when I kind of got to my to the, the leanest that I've ever been. Um, and me and Nick both were talking today when I ran to him at the farms. Like we're nowadays, like I'm doing intermittent fasting. And that's good stuff. Dude, that stuff pulls it off on me so quick. Really? Yeah. So it's like I'll do I'll eat from uh, about noon, maybe maybe one to eight o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can eat a little a little freer because I'm still under like a calorie count. And I just try to stay mindful of what I eat. But man, during this quarantine stuff, like I started loving my peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I do some fancy stuff too, but like yeah. the easy stuff was fun. And so you know, I'm able to still continue to do some of those things. You know, that I these new recipes that I came up with during the quarantine. And, uh, just kind of enjoy those. And now my brother lives with me, Okay, you know, he, uh, he's back around and, and diving into what, what he's seen works for me. And so that's been fun, you know, because I get to cook for him too. So. Nice. Yeah. Well, what is your advice on anybody? What is your advice for people listening? That's going to listen to this. Like if there's anybody that have, like they want to do something, but they're scared to start a business. And you know, you started two businesses. So yeah. What like what what is this general advice you'd give people? Like, Man, you know, it's uh, you know, if you've got a passion for it, like it, you know, it becomes to where, um, and you're like I say, if you're, so if you're really passionate about something and you have this, and it's it's a business idea you have, you know, run it by some people, you know, that have that type of, you know, get some pointers. Don't just necessarily just dive in it right. without any type of uh, suggestions on what to do. But, um, man, just go for it. You know, um, don't be scared to fail because it's the failure. It's the it's my failures, you know, that I've experienced in life that have given me the most growth. You know, I, I've grown through through some of the pain of those. Um, but, you know, having that, have, just like I do with recovery, like having an outside perspective, like I'll easily call somebody like Nick or, you know, some other like Bubba who's got yeah. you know, has his business. You know, and I'll call when I'm thinking of doing something, I'll run it past them. Like, hey, man, what do you think about this? Because they might have had some similar experience to where, you know, I don't have to to hit my head this time because they hit theirs and I can learn from that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So just try to, you know, especially if you're opening a business, just, you know, have some people to, you know, talk to, but at the same time, don't be scared to take a chance because if that thing, you know what I mean? It might not work that time, but you'll learn from that situation. And maybe the next time it does and it becomes like, man, it's so rewarding to be able to, do my passion daily. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I get to use my perfectionism to do, to like put this, you know, edge on a blade for people on a daily basis that makes them smile. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because their stuff is working properly. And, but then at the same time, you know, I have to know that me being busy like that um, and having the clientele base that I have problems are going to happen too. You know, that's the one thing that the problem I used to run into is like, you know, client would call me about something not working right, and I would beat myself up about it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, mm. I'm messing up. I'm losing my touch. Yeah. You know? 
So just like, you know, knowing that things are going to happen, having those people to talk to about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's not really working if it's your passion. Yeah. You know? That's beautiful. So tell people it's not as beautiful as Raul. <laughs> Duh. So tell us uh, where we can find your businesses and a Facebooks, Instagrams, whatever. So my business now is on Yelp, um, Google. Um, I do a lot of. I've got a website that I'm working on um, to finally get up going. I'm, I'm, I've got a buddy helping me with that. He's just uh, he's taking a sweet time. So, <laughs> but we've got so you know you've got uh, like I use Facebook and Instagram as a okay. big platform uh, for my business, uh, just because there's a lot of you know a lot of people that that seem to be in that the hair industry. You know, what I mean that are all on those platforms too. So like doing that, word of mouth has been my biggest thing too, um, because man, going through that first uh, time of doing. There were so many guys that were bad at what I do that so many of the stylists were just scared that it just took me being persistent. Thank God having ultimate foods to work for to supplement my income and just staying at it because what happened was eventually they're just like, man, this guy's actually doing a good job, you know, and turning their, their thoughts around about having the local guy do their stuff versus sending it to the manufacturer and having their stuff gone for two weeks. Yeah. You know, and, or, or more. And so, you know, just having that, uh, building that respect in the industry of like, this guy's going to take care of our stuff, you know? So how did you learn how to do that? Did you went to school for that? So I went to Atlanta first. Um, I took off to Atlanta. There was a, a manufacturer down there. I worked with them. They had a guy that was also that worked with them that did the clipper blades. Mm-hmm. So like I got in with him. Um, but then, uh, I just have always, it's kind of like my other stuff, you know, I've stayed open-minded to like growth in that area and I'll always do that. And like, so here last year, um, or a year and a half ago, I went up North and also worked like I had some, I had one guy here that, that had gotten out of the business because he had gotten paralyzed. And so I kind of had like a semi mentor, uh, guy, Steve Collins that just passed away a couple months ago. Um, one sharp dude was his company. And so, you know, I, 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 we would talk about stuff. Um, and then, um, just when I'd run into something, it's more of more business stuff, yeah. you know, more business advice there. But sometimes I'd run into some stuff with a, an issue I was running into with like a certain type of shear or something and see what his experience was. And so I finally went up north and worked with these guys. They've been doing it for 30 years and they're like a service center for a lot of companies. And, um, if a company like say they manufacture a shear and like, for some reason on the assembly line, something was messed up, you know what I mean? And so they're trying to find ways to actually make that, fix that product. Yeah. They'll sometimes ship them the bulk and have them pick it out, pick it apart and see what's going on. Like why, you know, what needs to be corrected in this and they'll do it with their machines. And so like, I've been able to learn all kinds of different tricks and, and ways to make things uh, work or maybe even improve on certain products, you know, because of what they're made out of. So going up there and working with those guys has been a big, big part too. So I've tried to get some of my Japanese manufacturers, uh, to, I took, you know, I can't speak anymore, but like I took Japanese in high school. Oh, did you? That's really? my language because I was in martial arts. And so, yeah. you know, I, I luckily for me, like that, what it really helps me this day is like pronouncing all the products or when I'm uh, speaking to them, you know? And so, uh, I've tried to get some of them, well, one of them to actually allow me to come and like hang out in their, facility oh okay. still working on that yeah they haven't granted me the permission on that one yet but um so i'm just always trying to there's always a way to grow yeah you know? 
Man, that's awesome, man. Like, have you ever thought about being like a motivational speaker? No. I mean, you have a story, man. You're pretty like, soft in the eyes, too. I, mean, I don't mind looking at you. <laughs> Ladies, he's available. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, not now. Oh, man. Well, way to go, bro. <laughs> new lady in the life these days. Ladies, never Fair, mind. Yeah. Yeah. It started before quarantine, so. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of like a, he's got like a Damien story, you yeah. know? That's awesome, man. So, I mean, you know, but I do get to, the, the thing that's cool is like I get to um, be involved in, in uh, going, you know, being involved with like treatment centers yeah. and stuff like that. So, I guess in a way, maybe I'm kind of doing that. Yeah. Because you yeah. never know, like, your story might spike the, spark the brain of somebody, yeah. you know, that's been dealing with something they just don't know how to talk about. And maybe they hear the story later on and I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I can do more. I can get clean, you know. Well, you know, one thing that uh, I will say Nick um, brought to my attention one time. So, you know, he's, he had said two different things to me that really kind of clicked. One was when he saw me kind of slip one of my last times, he's like, dude, you're going to become the boy that cried wolf. And that just re- really made me realize how, how willing I needed to dig into the recovery thing. And then two was, you know, um, he just said that when I, so when I, when I, after I graduated from Warriors, you know what I mean? I stayed involved. Mm-hmm. And so he would watch what was kind of going on with me. I, I, I'm guessing, you know, it seemed like he was keeping an eye, more of an eye than I knew on me. Yeah. And he was like, man, when I see you continuing to be involved in that community, yeah, I see the lights on. When you seem to go off on your own path and, and away from being any type of uh, giving back or doing like that, you kind of go off into the isolation dark spot, mm. you know? And so bringing that to my attention, like I still didn't see it for, you know, a year or so after till I got into, you know, working a program. But, yeah. Um, you know, that was something that was made, you know, made aware to me. And my brother even states it now, like that's been his, his, uh, experience too. Really? You know, is like staying somewhat involved and because it also keeps it fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, I go in there and see some of these guys that are fresh in and they barely can, uh, you know, barely can read, you know what I mean? Because they're, they're, you know, their brain's so washed out from being out there, you know what I mean? And like, I remember I wrote myself a note. The, when I first got into recovery and I read it later and the words were all off. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, because I had just gone through detox. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, you know, that stuff keeps it raw. Yeah. So, man. Yeah. I, I really think that like helping other people out when you're going through something, like being like a mentor for people is, is amazing. Mm. Do you have anything else from Rome? No, that's it. So, oh yeah, what what are your uh, companies called? So uh, you have Acer Edge, which uh, is the sharpening industry. Which which also the newer area that I have opened up in that I want to bring that up is, uh, you know, I have started taking on the restaurants. You know, nice. so I've been so I've got a knife division now, um, which uh, is kind of slow growing just because I'm kind of you know I've got a lot on my plate when it comes to other stuff, but with things being a little lighter, I'm able to put a little energy on that now mm-hmm. and uh, I will be uh, hiring somebody to help with that. And then I have, then I, you know, the one that's just kind of in its infancy stage is this Chateau LeBert coffee. Yeah. So, yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Like I found, you know, I've gotten the, I've, I found the key was just for that one so far. It's just been really looking for the quality beans. 
um, taking my time and playing with the different stuff and, and getting, and it's been, been cool because during this, like so many friends and other people through, through social media have gotten a hold of and like getting their feedback. Yeah. You know, and seeing what people are liking because I love Ethiopian, but not everybody loves the fruity coffee, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, getting some stuff there. So yeah, it's just Acer Edge for now and Chateau LeBert, you know? All right. Thank you for coming on, brother. Appreciate Bro, it, man. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Love you lots. Bye. Bye. Bye.